For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Theo Wells-Spackman. I'm Twyla Colburn. And I'm Leela Siskind. You're listening to Daybreak. In mid-August, a Princeton course made national headlines weeks before classes even started. Israel's Minister of Diaspora Affairs and Social Equality, Amichai Shikli, released a public statement demanding a book be removed from an NES course's syllabus. The book is Jaspier Poir's The Right to Maim, and the course is titled The Healing Humanities, Decolonizing Trauma Studies from the Global South. It's taught by Professor of Near Eastern Studies Satya Larson. According to Shukli, the right to maim contains, quote, anti-Semitic blood libel rather than educational merit. The case for academic free speech, he argues, does not apply in this context. The Israeli minister is not the only political figure who's commented. New Jersey Representative Josh Gottheimer echoed his sentiment in an open letter addressed to University President Christopher Eisgruber on September 13th. But while big players clash over the syllabus, how are students in the class and professors in the department varying? And when Princeton comes under scrutiny from national media and political figures, how is discourse on campus affected? We sat down with a student in Professor Larson's class to explore this question. The atmosphere surrounding this course has been so intense this semester that the student wished to remain anonymous. Their comments will be read by Twyla Colburn, a member of our team. When I encountered this course, I was really excited because it really matched up with what I had hoped to study at Princeton. Yeah, fair enough. Um, What's been your experience of the controversy that's surrounded this so far? I think that my general response is that it's been a distraction. And I think it's created a sense of uncertainty, fear, confusion among students. There were some students who had no idea that this had been going on before they stepped into class. There were others who'd been following it quite closely. There really has been a lot to follow. In addition to Gottheimer's and Chickley's statements, The story was picked up by a number of national and international news organizations, including the Jerusalem Post, the New York Post, and Fox News. These articles, like the political statements, criticize the use of the book as a promotion of material that mischaracterizes the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in what critics say is an anti-Semitic manner. Representative Gottheimer called the book's arguments egregiously false. But the student we spoke to feels that the criticisms disregard the academic context and, crucially, the principles of academic free speech. Yeah, it's incredibly important to have academic freedom truly protected and to have scholars, both professors as well as students, really feel that it's a safe space for them to pursue their scholarship and their ideas, even if people disagree with those ideas. I think it's astonishing that so much attention has come upon this particular one single text in a long syllabus covering many other topics. There's no context around how the text is going to be presented, what are the arguments for or against, And so it's kind of astonishing that just the inclusion of a text in a syllabus should create this kind of reaction. President Eisgruber agrees. In a reply to Representative Gottheimer, he said, quote, At Princeton and other great colleges and universities, we promote inclusivity and belonging in many ways, but never by censoring speech, syllabi, or courses. My name is Daniel Sheffield. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Near Eastern Studies, and I'm also presently uh, the director of undergraduate studies uh, here in the department. Professor Sheffield leads the department Larson's classes taught in. He wasn't entirely surprised by the backlash. I should first say that, you know, we in Middle Eastern Studies are, are, you know, unfortunately 
uh, somewhat accustomed to dealing with outside organizations reporting on our academic activities. In 2002, way back when I was an undergraduate, uh, an organization called the Middle East Forum, a right-wing or neoconservative think tank, founded something called Campus Watch, uh, which since that time has been uh, reporting um, on the activities of professors in Middle Eastern studies, often from a conservative background, uh, amalgamating news stories about uh, you know topics such as things to do with places like uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia and also with issues to do with the Arab-Israeli conflict. In other words, this isn't new. From others in the field, there was almost an anticipation of this problem. It's an established pattern, but it may be growing more extreme. Is that like a, an unusual level of, of, of coverage for this kind of, for this kind of course, for this kind of um, like level of study, I guess? Yeah, so what was really remarkable to me um, in, in reading this you know, coverage of the story was that you know, this had all uh, stemmed you know, not from seeing any course content itself. The course had not yet been taught, as far as I can tell, uh, the authors of these news articles did not even have access to the syllabus of the course. Rather, they were they were merely looking at the description of the course in Princeton's listing of courses, its course catalog, essentially, uh, in which is given a list of sample readings. And that, uh, to my mind, uh, indicates a, a new level of policing of um, academic teaching at institutions where the mere mention of a title itself, and this, uh, again, for context for your readers, is, is a book that has been peer-reviewed that was published on an American university press, Duke University Press, a very highly uh, regarded you know, academic press, that that uh, mere inclusion of the book itself was enough to produce a, a letter from a minister of the Israeli government. Yeah, do, do you think there was any kind of possibility ever of a policy change from the university? Like, did you ever think at any point, oh, you know, they might actually pull this? Or was that never really a concern for you? I don't think that that was uh, a concern for me. The course was, you know, approved in the, you know, according to our department's uh, normal procedures, which means that a sample syllabus uh, was submitted to the, the DUS along with the reading list, along with the course description. At any rate, um, the, the the publication was peer-reviewed by Duke University Press. It is a you know sort of typical work uh, in the field of anthropology in many ways, which is to say that it is a work that's written in a kind of jargon. It's a work that you know uh, very much participates in theoretical, critical theoretical conversations that take place within gender studies and within uh, disability studies. The work received uh, the two thousand uh, and. 18 uh, award, let me just get this right, from the National Women's Studies Association. So it's a work that in, in many respects um, uh, was um, uh, not just uh, uh, typical in some ways for the field, but, uh, but also one which had uh, met scholarly approval and was well received. Yeah, I guess last, uh, last question would be um, kind of personally, like as a scholar, have organizations like Campus Watch that you mentioned ever given you pause about publishing something or offering a class or what readings you select or anything like that? Certainly. I mean, my own work uh, pertains to Iran um, and I, the history of the Zoroastrian community of Iran. Seeing uh, what has happened to other colleagues and you know protesters, uh, enter academic um, fora and so on, uh, have certainly 
you know, become more cautious in what I might say in the classroom with regard to such topics, with what, with what I might, uh, you know, try to publish on uh, with regard to topics like, you know, Iranian nationalism, the um, uh, national and international reporting uh, on uh, the things that we discuss in the small space of the classroom has a deleterious effect on learning and, and on academic freedom uh, within the space of the classroom. Clearly, this kind of national scrutiny is somewhat difficult to bear in the classroom and in scholarship. It's changing what we're learning and what we're writing. But Professor Larson is just the most recent example of this kind of critical media attention at Princeton. Just last year, Jenny Lawson, an alumna in the class of 2023, faced backlash for her musical theater thesis project. Yeah. Um, so hi, I'm Jenny Lawson. I just graduated class of 2023. Um, I wrote a musical, wrote and directed and was in a musical called To All the Babies I've Killed Before, a love-hate letter to storytelling. So the story's actually about writers navigating the creative process. It's sort of obvious from the title, but the first part attracted all of the media attention. So what's funny about those articles is I feel like they would all be so different, maybe, if they, like, acknowledge the fact that the title has two parts and there is a second part. Like, they kind of just start with the first part, like, to all the babies I've killed before, and then they, like, conveniently leave out the aspect where it's, like, about storytelling. Um. So, anyways, I was, like, so in my own world that I didn't know about any of this until opening night. We were in there, like, an hour or two before the whole cast, like, you know, warming up, blah, blah, blah. And then one of my friends is like, oh, did you guys see that article? Like, that's so crazy. And I was like, what? What article? So I see this article and it's from some news outlet I've never heard of in my life called like the Washington Examiner or something. It was, in fact, the Washington Examiner and soon Fox News as well. The conservative watchdog publication Campus Reform criticized Lawson's work for, quote, promoting abortion. Yeah, so there are like a, a handful of references to abortion in the musical but I wouldn't say I really get into like nitty-gritty specifics of the political discourse itself it's more so like me being playful with the title and acknowledging the fact that like abortion is a serious topic but I am sort of making this analogy as well in some ways of like control over women and patriarchy and the way that those things influence like Western mainstream creative processes. I just think we had a silly little article published about us and let's just go do the show and have fun and perform for our friends and community members, right? But that was a moment where it felt weirdly serious because suddenly I was like worried, you know, the way that they were putting all these safety precautions in place, which obviously, you know, looking back, basic stuff, probably just very, very precautionary. Assistant Director Layla Williams, Class of 25, remembers the beginning of the play's run. In context, outside of context, To All the Babies I Killed Before is a very, like, sensational title. Um, and I think that was probably one of the big things, especially with the Roe v. Wade case that happened very recently. That was probably in people's minds when they saw that. Um, and I think it's something that's very easy to put in a headline and be like, oh, killing babies, you know, things like that. And people easily, like, jumping on that. You think people were missing the point? Yes. It started off as a joke, but it definitely got real and it got scary fast, I think. I have never seen that before. I have never seen P-Safe, like, monitor 
a show and I'm, I'm heavily involved in student theater like within the LCA within like student groups that has never happened to my knowledge. First there was a representative from the office of the dean of undergraduate students then a public safety officer then two. And then I was just really worried about the safety of my cast because my god the last thing I'd ever want to do is like put any of them in danger over a silly little show. And I think the the discourse got to the point of where the LCA took all of our names off of the project except for Jenny um, because of the fact that all of these like news outlets were trying to contact us individually. It, it, it was just weird and invasive so that I sort of felt like if we don't respond, then it doesn't exist, kind of. And so that was just sort of the way we handled it was like nobody reply to these people, just delete their messages. Right. I think I think one of the sort of accusations that I read as well was that because it was a comedic story as well, the subject matter was like inappropriate for kind of any comedy in any context. Do you feel like you were on thin ground at all or, or thin ice rather? people need to learn to laugh more in general like I don't think like sure there are some things you shouldn't joke about but I think if you're someone who is like affected by the issues that you're joking about you have every right to joke about like if I I, I'm from Florida right like need I say more like if I go home I try to get an abortion holy I think not only as like a piece of academic work, but also theater is very, it is very much a form for dialogue and a form of discussion and a form of expressing your opinion. So in combination with it being a piece of academic work, I think that just makes, you know, whatever you're trying to share more pertinent um, and more like able, I guess, in that kind of sense that you, you are, you should be more able to fulfill your kind of expression in that kind of way. Both as a piece of art and a piece of academic work, the team felt that their work was well within their rights. But like their peers in the Near Eastern Studies Department, media attention caused them to question their own safety. Seeing the seriousness and the severity and quite actually like the fear of like the news coverage was something that I hadn't expected when I first signed on to the project. When we take a class or submit an assignment, there's usually a guarantee that the materials we engage with and create will stay within the confines of the orange bubble. It's what allows students and instructors to take bold academic risks. But as political polarization grows on the outside, it's inevitable that controversy will pop that bubble time and time again. So in the end, it was just kind of a a funny story and it was definitely a I guess a valuable experience to learn the extent to which random people care I guess what's happening in like Princeton student art and like use it as some sort of quantifier of like educational politics which is not something I realized was happening. That's all for Daybreak today. Today's episode was written by Leela Siskind, Fakir Bayena, Twyla Colburn, and me, sound engineered by me, and produced under the 147th Managing Board of The Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horan, class of 2022. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Theo Wells-Spackman. Have a wonderful day. <laughs>